everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 252 with our review of Prisoners. I'm Christopher Schnazy. I'm Carson Patrick. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, Carson Patrick and I are going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, as we said, we have a review of Prisoners, which, uh, you know, been seeing the previews a lot for this film. Uh, looked like it was going to be pretty intense. So, I mean, I, I this is... This is one that I was definitely excited for seeing. What about you, Carson? I was looking forward to seeing it, yes. Yeah, we're, I mean, you, you weren't worried that Hugh Jackman was going to break into song or anything like that? I mean, I would uh, prefer that he did, you know. Wolverine could have used some more singing. <laughs> I know that there, there's that scene in the in the trailer where they're like, oh, he sings in the shower all oh, the time. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, God, they better not for, like, no reason at all just have a scene <laughs> where he randomly, like, sings a song for everybody just to be like, oh, yeah, remember when I was in Les Mis? Hey, did you just have a random musical number? Yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely would have uh, livened up the, the mood of this film because... Uh, yeah, not not really a, a, a uplifting or a happy film. I would it's say. a it's a family movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you have kids, this is a great film for you oh, to go. Oh yeah, watch. especially if you have two little daughters, uh, you're gonna love this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say, uh, you know, if you are somebody who has children, you're probably not gonna have a very unrough time with this film. I guess small children. I feel like if you, well, maybe if you still have grown children, you'd still have that feeling. But I, I, I think especially if you have small children, because I, I remember I went and saw Shutter Island with uh, my neighbor, and he has a, he, well, he doesn't live here anymore, but he has a, a small child. Yeah. Of like around the same age as uh, Leo's children in Shutter Island. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you've seen Shutter Island, you know, like, what happens, um in that film and, and, if, uh, and if you haven't seen Charlotte now you know something <laughs> happens to the kids now you know that there are some potentially dead children in there and yeah he was like not he's like ah, i can't he's like i can't watch movies like this anymore i was like oh okay <laughs> did, you t- did you tell him make sure you don't go see this movie no like i didn't like i guess he didn't think that there was gonna be like dead kid stuff in it so like when he saw it like he was like oh i shouldn't have gone and sit- seen this and i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> and like i'd already seen it so like i guess maybe he was pissed that i didn't warn him but i was just like i don't know it was just a movie so i mean i, I understand like where he was coming from but i also wasn't expecting I, I mean i don't know that was the first time where i was just like oh yeah like it's a whole different perspective if i guess if you actually have a young child uh and not are just you know a single person yeah yeah and I, and we'll get into this obviously when the review starts but uh I think that even, you know, obviously you and I don't have children. Um, no. But At I least would, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I would say that, you know, I think the film does a good job of communicating, uh, allowing non-children having viewers to empathize with the characters going through the struggle. Like, I think it communicates well what that feeling yeah. is like, as opposed to maybe some other movies where... They don't. People are just, like, screaming and fake crying and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Yes, which is you know children are, you know if 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 you don't want children, that's why you should always use protection, which is uh, something that the people in Thanks for Sharing aren't all about, you know. Of course not in that movie, but yeah, because it's about sex. 
Yeah, is that is that your attempted transition? That was into- that was trying. I was trying to segue like very awkwardly. Gotcha. Well, I I, I honestly don't know why <laughs> you want to talk about this film. I mean, I I know why because I think you really like trying to do takedowns of films that aren't on people's radar and uh, have a good time. So if you'd really like to talk about it, we can talk about it. Just keep it short. Okay. Well, I was just basically going to say. Uh, if you seen the trailer for Thanks for Sharing and thought, oh, that might be pretty funny, I would just recommend you watch the movie Shame and call it a day. Because I feel like that movie does everything that Thanks for Sharing tried to do and failed. Um, it does a lot better, I think, with a lot more stuff. And it's just weird, you know, like I just, I just felt like the whole movie was like totally misguided in a really big way. Yeah. I, there's something about doing a comedy comedy drama about addiction that I, I think you're just like kind of walking a fine line. It's kind of um it's kinda of like it's kind of a funny story, which I thought treaded that, you know, subject. I, not, a little bit different subject, but like mental illness. It's just kinda of like it's it's one of those subjects where it's like really hard to if you're going to make a, you know, kind of a light drama comedy out of it, it's something that you, you know, have to, it's just, it's just weird. It's, it's a, it's a difficult subject, I think, to do as like a comedy. I think, I think it was pulled off like really well in Silver Linings Playbook, but like that's, you know, an example. (laughs) That's a superior movie in many different uh, ways but yeah i mean there, there are definitely examples of where it can work but there are more examples i think of where it didn't work and i think thanks for sharing is one of those movies that didn't work well i think what they try to do with thanks for sharing is take a film make it about sex addiction but tackle addiction as a whole um but yeah. using they they use sex addiction as a thing to lighten up the um the tone of an addiction film but they yeah. still want they they really it, it could have been any addiction and they but they wanted to keep it light but still talk about it it just feels like this feels like the episode of a television series where after the episode ends before the credits the cast shows up and they go sex addiction is a great thing <laughs> that you know affects millions of people every year if you or someone you know or someone you love is a sex addict please call this hotline and help yeah, us blah 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 blah, blah. It, it's like a feature length PSA. Yeah, and and it like I don't I don't think it I don't think it particularly does anything well. I think I, I think it's fine um up until towards the end where like it literally doesn't do anything with everything it's built for the re- for the beginning half of the film. Like I just think by the end of the film it's not really saying anything. It's just being like look at these characters, aren't they funny and isn't sex addiction weird? Um yeah. But I yeah, I just think it doesn't really try to do anything. It doesn't really go anywhere. It just wanted to tackle sex addiction or addiction in general and do it in as light a way as possible while still showing the lives of people who... It's weird. It, it's almost like a film that's not about the addiction itself but about life after the addiction and worrying about falling back into it. Like, it's... Yeah. With the exception of our the, the one guy that... Uh, you know, does all the biking and can't take the subway. Everybody else is long after the fact. And it's kind of a, I don't know, it's weird. Like our main character played by Mark Ruffalo doesn't really have much of an arc in this film. And I think that's really where it, it kind of fails is all the other characters have more arcs. He's sort of just, 
he is supposed to be the support for the other characters and then he has his issue towards the end of the film but he's not really going over the course of like a normal story arc um, in this at all he's just sort of there and he's kind of seeing what everybody else is going through and I just don't think that was the best way to go about it yeah it just uh hit mark ruffalo's storyline and like tim robbins storyline they feel like the most psa pamphlet handout type i think the the storyline with josh gad and pink uh that one has a little more heart to it just because like the consequences of josh gad's addiction you know cost cost him his job so there's like a little more stake to him than just like we don't really get a whole lot with you know ruffalo except for the fact that oh no his relationship with gwyneth paltrow you know which is barely established might be at stake and like they don't have enough chemistry to really make you care about it so well i think i think it's pretty clear that 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 dude and pink are the main characters of this film but it what didn't have any chance of having legs, so they got Mark Ruffalo, Tim Robbins, and Gwyneth Paltrow. Added the it feels like they added them onto the story to give this film quote unquote star power, and kind of tried to skew some of the main plot away from those two main characters, um, uh, those two those two people because yeah. those weren't going to be enough to bring in audiences. So it it, it just feels kind of cobbled together in a strange way, and I think. I think there's a lot of interesting things they could have done with this. Um, I, the whole reason I was interested in seeing it was simply because of Mark Ruffalo in this relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow trying to like stay away from whatever and like maintain himself in the sex addiction that he has. Like that was an interesting idea for me. Uh, but like I said, everything else in the film takes center stage over that. That's sort of just the backdrop of some of the events that are taking place. And it kind of doesn't really work in the end. Yeah, like I said, if you haven't seen Shame, you should see Shame because it tackles all the same points, but a lot better. And you get to see Michael Fassbender's dong. So, I mean, it's a win-win. Oh, I mean, totally. That's that's the whole reason I'm interested in seeing The Counselors because I'm hoping I'll be able to see that. Or or 12 Years a Slave, obviously. (laughs) Um, No, but uh, like joking, joking aside, like it's kind of surprising like if you watch shame um like or or while from my standpoint watching thanks for sharing how many points or how many same beats thanks for sharing hits that shame does and it's just like it's so weird it's almost like the filmmakers of thanks for sharing saw shame and was just like we can do that exact same movie except as a comedy and yeah it didn't didn't work that experiment failed. All right. Well, there you go. Everybody should go check out Shame. And, uh, yeah, now let's get back to our discussion of prisoners. I almost said the prisoners, but <laughs> that's... <laughs> Dude, just... it said on the Run P app, it says the prisoners. And I was laughing because, uh, yeah. yeah. Whenever anyone adds the in front of a title that doesn't have the, it's always just like, really? It's just funny. To yeah. me, it's funny. Interestingly, I, I, inter- yeah. interestingly enough, our, our the film we reviewed, the family was originally called Family. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's weird because like I had a I had a teacher in film school who added the to like every title that didn't have the, 
She's like, The 300, The Watchmen, The Fight Club. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, she sent out an email one time. It was just like, we're going to have a special guest speaker who did, you know, art direction on The 300. I was like, are you kidding me? I don't know. Tangent, but funny. And it wasn't like she wasn't doing it ironically? No, no. She was like full on serious. She even italicized you know all the titles to be like look at me i'm you know professional i'm italicizing my titles very like nice a, like a you know correct grammar person but yeah it's just it was weird and even like in normal like conversation she would add like that's when she said like have you guys seen the fight club and i'm just like uh fight club <laughs> <laughs> you know i haven't seen that one but is that supposed to be a ripoff of fight club yeah is that like the uh, asylum version of fight club <laughs> All right, well, what do you say we get into our review, Carson, for Prisoners? Let's okay. take a listen to the trailer and then let everybody know what we thought of this film. Happy Hello. Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving! Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take Joy to our house? Wear a hat, please. You're just getting over a cold. Where are your sisters? I can't find them. Anna? Joy? I checked the entire house. They're not here. They weren't outside. It's starting to rain, I think. Dad, there's this RV, and they were playing on it. There was, then we thought there was someone inside. You wait here. Let me go. I couldn't find them. 911. Detective Loki. <laughs> Do you have children, detective? I'm going to find your daughters. Caller reported an RV was parked at a rest stop off Route 46. Show me your hands! Where'd you put those girls? Where are they? What do you got? We didn't find anything. This thing's clean. That boy has never been in trouble a day in his life. They're letting him go. What? The police said they're letting him go today. Why aren't you sending someone out to go arrest this guy? Well, he has the IQ of a 10-year-old. There's no way that he could abduct two girls and then make them disappear. Maybe he wasn't on his own. We're considering all possibilities. I don't think you are considering all possibilities. Just let me do my job. Four days have passed since Anna Dover and Joy Birch were last seen by their families. I have nine level three offenders living within a 10-mile radius. Keep knocking on doors. Mind if I take a look around? What are you telling me his name? He said he took them. Did he say he was with anybody? We found something. Every day, she's wondering why I'm not there. Me, not you, not you, but me! What in the world did you do? Someone has to make him talk or they're gonna die. Five days we got now, we're running out of time. You don't even know that it's him. You have to love someone and he knows where this guy is. Why aren't you telling me? This ain't right. Why? This guy's a fake. The girls are still out there. Okay, so that was the trailer for Prisoners, a little film in which uh, two little girls are uh, are abducted or taken, and all the things that the family and a father will do to try to find them and make sure they're safe. Uh, Carson. What did you think of this film? Uh, I love this movie. Uh, if if by saying love, I mean, you know, uh, was very, very disturbed, uh, then yes, by, by saying I, I loved it, it did its job very well. Um, 
I uh, I think this movie is a thousand times scarier than anything in Insidious Chapter 2 uh, or anything of any recent modern horror movie just because, like we were kind of mentioning before uh, we started, like this movie does, even if you're someone who doesn't have children, it does make put you in the shoes of someone who would be like greatly affected by a situation like this. And because, um, like you said, there are a lot of movies that kind of have, you know, either like kidnapping dramas or something like that where children are in danger and it's, you know, tragic stuff, but it doesn't come off very authentic and it doesn't, you know, it just feels kind of phony. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, this movie is all about atmosphere and mood and tension. And I mean, it's. I haven't seen like a I don't even want to call it a thriller really because I think the movie is more of a drama with just a lot of messed up stuff in it like I think it's yeah. you know, more of a more of like a mystery really I think that you know there's a really interesting case here um, or it becomes an interesting case uh, you know I've heard a lot of people saying that I don't know if they were just figuring that it was going to be reliant on a twist like I don't think this movie was going for that like i think that uh it was more interested in like kind of the mundane side of things like i feel like a lot of this movie takes place uh the setting of the film is really extraordinary i mean like the i mean it's scary because it looks like sort of your average american suburban neighborhood but uh it's just like i said the atmosphere and the mood uh so drenched literally in rain and just cold bleakness and you know sometimes snow it's just this movie feels so rich i mean uh it's no surprise that the the master roger deakins shot this movie uh is why it looks so good but i mean I just want to have sex with the cinematography in this movie. It's just, I, I, you know, one day at a time, I will try and not to, but it's just, it, that's how good this movie looks. Like this, it, this is just uh, like unfathomable, unfathomably good looking film. Uh, probably the best film, like looking film of this year. Like, I don't, I think that, um, there's something very timeless about it and uh a lot of people were saying like well it, it it's very reminiscent of like david fincher and i don't think so at all like i didn't get those vibes like obviously there are creepy people in it and uh uh but i didn't get anything like that like i i think that uh honestly the movie that i think it most resembles in terms of looks and tone is capote weirdly because uh that movie was also kind of set you know in like midwest southern like suburbia uh and it just was like that movie was very cold and you could just kind of like feel the the atmosphere in that film and you know it was also about you know kind of disturbing subject matter and murders and stuff like that and uh solving a, a case and whatnot and that's the movie it most reminded me of. It just it just had a very lived in feeling. This movie does like the sets. Like I wouldn't even call them sets. I guess they're just actual locations. I mean, like the houses they used for 
like Hugh Jackman's house and like Jake Gyllenhaal's like where he works like the police station it's all like it's the most glamorous unglamorous movie like you'll see this year because like there's so much attention to detail yet it doesn't you would it's stuff that you would just like every day not pay attention to um but other than that like i mean i think this movie uh the performances are great like they are hugh jackman finally i think gets a role where he you know is up to his ability to bring like 200 percent every time to a movie like i i feel like he was relishing the fact that like he got a role that was like this substantial and i think like he's you know um in contrast to his role like jake gyllenhaal is also really really good like i think this is like one of my favorite performances from him like as this cop who i loved how they just didn't really give him a backstory and like he's just going around blinking the whole time and showing off his tattoos like i mean that's the kind of stuff that like where you just fill in the blanks and you're just like who is this guy like he's like the intrigue behind him is almost as interesting as like you know the case he's trying to solve and um yeah i mean it's just like from the moment it opens i mean i was hooked like this this movie keeps you on edge and it, and it goes on for you know a, a good solid two and a half hours and i i feel like it was uh worthy of that time like i i i really you know got involved with like the length of it and you know how you know they they uncovered new clues but then it led them to dead ends and then you know things just kept like happening and there were not so much twist. I mean, there were definitely surprises in the movie, but I don't think they were supposed to be twists. It was just kind of like, you know, something new arose, and it was like, oh shit, like this is bad, you know. And uh, I think that what it ultimately ends up being is something that is very inherently creepy, and um, it's something that's been used before in movies. But I think here, like the way that it's presented, is. Uh, is very very creepy and i think they pull it off pretty well and like i I was just surprised that like a big studio released this movie like it's a ballsy film i think to put out uh i I mean the whole time i just kept thinking it was like an independent feature because it feels that way um but yeah like i remember like it got a lot of hype and uh from the toronto film festival you know right before its release so i was like kind of thinking well you know i was hoping like it was just going to be like an awesome you know mystery type movie and uh i think it really delivered like i think it lived up to some of the hype people were giving it uh i'd be interested to to go back and watch it again i mean it's not obviously not a movie that's that screams like ah i can't wait to rewatch it it's so much fun yeah but uh it's something that i think like you could go back and look at certain things in terms of like foreshadowing or clues to like uh how things are like laid out and put together i think that's where the rewatch value would come in um but it is it is a very uh i wouldn't say hard movie to sit through but it's definitely a movie that'll bring you uh emotion especially if you have children i think that then it'll be a hard movie to sit through at times but I think it's worth it. Like, I think this is a, a movie that pulls no punches. And uh, I, I, you know, a lot of people were saying it doesn't have much joy, but I think that the fact that it was joyless was 
a positive for me. Like I, I was glad that it didn't dilute itself. It never faltered from being this bleak. And uh, that's another reason why I thought, you know, that was pretty risky for Warner Brothers to put this movie out. Um, so all around, I thought, uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty, you know, A-grade film. So what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that this is a fantastic watch. Um, this film had me engaged the whole time. Um, as, you, as you were talking about, like, with Hugh Jackman, like, before Hugh Jackman starts going on his, like, I have to do something, like, before he starts taking action, when he's just, uh, like, being torn up inside emotionally, like, every single scene where he's talking to Jake Gyllenhaal, like, I was, like, almost, I, I was, like, at, like, the brink of tears anytime he was talking. Like, anytime he was kind of freaking out and worried and, like, asking, like, wh- you're going to hold him, right? You're going to hold him indefinitely? Like, all yeah. any anytime he was lamenting about uh, his family and what's going on uh, was just incredible. Obviously, when he's getting to the point where um, he's taking things in his, his own hands, he's, his performances are still outstanding there, but it, it's it's more of a anger and desperation as opposed to a a just deep deep sadness but like at, yeah. the, at the beginning when he's communicating that like literally every single scene where he was on screen talking delivering lines at all i was like this is freaking phenomenal acting es- right here especially like, when he like got like he'd be talking normally like softly and then he would get really angry and you're just like whoa yeah like the, the scene where you know he's already talked to jake gyllenhaal and jake gyllenhaal is like getting in his car to leave and he comes running out and he's like you know detective detective and he's trying to talk to him yeah like, just all of those scenes like that that's what i was kind of you know hinting at at the beginning of the show where i was like even if you don't have kids like you like hugh jackman's performance is so strong that you feel his pain and his loss and like what he's going through yeah he's uh, selling like, it yeah i mean obviously i'm sure it's worse if you have kids yourself because you're not just empathizing with a character you are feeling more in his place uh but yeah i just thought that was tremendously just amazing and as you said too with jake gyllenhaal like he uh Obviously, his character has some sort of backstory. He's been involved in something. He's got all these tats everywhere. As, as you were pointing out, he, ha- he has, like, these ticks that he does constantly, and he never breaks from those. Like, um, you know, he, he doesn't have this sinister performance the way that Heath Ledger did as a Joker, but he yeah. definitely has this, like, fully committed to mannerisms of somebody who, you know, I don't know if he's had a drug addiction in the past, uh, what it is that, that it yeah. kind of has him acting this way, but he he buys into it and he sells it and he's definitely this guy who you know he he wants to solve this case he wants to get it done too but he's also dealing with like what he's allowed to do what he's allowed to do as a police officer um what he can do like he's he's kind of like he empathizes for Hugh Jackman also but he can only do so much um because he's actually a member of of the police force he can only do what he's allowed to yeah Um, and he doesn't have like you know family or anything yeah, yeah, or that anymore maybe. I mean, we yeah. we don't we don't know exactly don't know. what his situation is. But I, he kind of reminded me of uh, Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty, where it's like he's so committed to the job that like he has no other life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I he he reminded me a lot of the character Holder from The Killing, uh, uh, just because you know, I not that he's gonna blow up and turn into RoboCop or anything like that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just because like that character is is an ex addict who is on the police force due to like you know some good somebody's helped him into that role probably 
and uh, it seems like Jake Gyllenhaal's character also has some sort of backstory that's got to be similar to that. Uh, maybe even worse things that have happened to him that have got him to his point. But uh, yeah, I mean, just the the overall the performances, like the the situation that's being communicated, uh, all of that is completely gripping. And you know, there's a lot of uh, lots of tears in in the auditorium that I saw it in. Lots mm. of people getting freaked out. Um, I'm still. Stuff towards the end of the film, I'm still wrestling back and forth uh, about. I think that the film, the film uh, walks the line between brilliant and cheap. I think um, toward, towards the like some elements they introduced the plot later on. Uh, there's just some things that I'm I I can't tell whether it was a brilliant move or whether it was like attempted misdirection that. Uh, takes away a little bit from my overall view of the film as a whole. Uh, you know, I can, after we close out, I can kind of reference those a little bit if we want to. Um, but overall, I think, I think, as I said, like the fantastic, terrific watch this film is. Um, I'm still kind of deciding on whether it's going to go down in, in my memory as like this uh, great thriller or story in general. Um, but there, there's definitely a lot of stuff happening in the world of this film. Some really kind of out there ideas are brought up about the people involved, and and yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still chewing over it. I I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I, I it's I would have to dialogue a lot with somebody to kind of chew over this, and and you know I, I don't necessarily agree with uh, with what you were saying about it's rewatchability and possibly being able to see different clues as they're laid down or different actions that are taken and how that would play out at, at later um, watches part, part of the reason I don't uh, agree is because of this idea I have about this possible cheapness that's there. I feel that rewatching it, um, it won't really lend to that because it can't foreshadow in the same way because of what it's trying to do with its story. And because of these backstories that it has to introduce, like I feel that, um, the path to all the events are sort of linear because I can kind of see the path the audience is supposed to take. And I think that you're only given certain bits of information at certain times so that your path through your watching experience is sort of directed um, by the storyteller. So I, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I'm still, still chewing over that. I mean, do you, without specifically me having to mention exactly what I'm talking about, do you kind of, get the vibe i'm talking about uh yeah i can see that because i know there were i was reading some reviews online that did you know that had kind of the same opinion but even more so where they just flat out didn't like that where it went at all um and i can see that and like i said it's something that's been used before in movies but here i think like it does kind of feel a little like we're stepping out of the box, but I felt like they brought it all, they reined it all in uh, at the very end. Uh, there's just something about, you know, by the time we figure out what's going on, we're like, I, for me, I was so invested in that world that it didn't really matter uh, that it was kind of not what i was expecting like it wasn't something we're completely fresh but i was already so invested that you know i was just like all right i'll, I'll go with this like this is you know anytime they bring this into the fold it's always always weird and messed up but uh 
Yeah, and, and just just to clarify, like I'm totally fine with the destination. Like I'm the the entire trip and the destination are totally fine with me. I don't have a complaint about that. There's just a few pit stops that are made along the way, which I think are only there not because the story requires them, but because they wanted the audience to make those pit stops themselves before arriving at the destination. Yeah. And because of that construct, like the, because of the way that's set up, I feel like because the story doesn't change if you remove that um it it feels a little bit like a distraction and because this is a this is built as sort of a thriller film that distraction feels like it's intended as misdirection when and and that that could just be all on my part me watching it that way but because it feels like it's unnecessary it feels like added fluff if that fluff like all the stuff with like Jake Jake Gyllenhaal's backstory, like that's all awesome. Like I love that that's there because it makes you think about it, it makes you wonder. This stuff doesn't feel like it's adding to the story. It feels like it's sort of just it it, it just feels like it's it's adding unnecessary time. Which in the context of the story, yes, if the investigators are stuck wasting time, that makes it more intense. So it works from a story standpoint. But because this isn't a story I'm hearing about hearing about after the fact, I'm. I'm living it out in the moment of the film. It feels like I'm being toyed with in a way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you what you mean about uh, there's some definite red herrings in the film, and I think some of it is obviously movie misdirection uh, intentionally, but yeah. I think there's some things in these scenes that shed light on stuff that happens in the end where you're like, okay, so this is what happened to some of these people. Yeah. Um, which I, I, I like that. Um, I mean, if anything, it gave us the amazing scene where Jake Gyllenhaal goes to a creepy guy's house and has like the greatest stare off with this guy at his door. Um, that is just, there's like, that's one of the like many (laughs) great scenes where like the movie just like go the movie just plays like there's like no music or anything. it's just quiet and there's like people staring at each other uh you know or or contemplating things and uh yeah i was very surprised like it's it's a very quiet movie at times which is is even more disturbing yeah at times but uh it's just it's kind of weird that uh that in that scene where it's so creepy that like Jake Gyllenhaal's character laughs like in the scene, I don't know if that was uh, like a improvised thing, but uh, it was just, uh, yeah, it's 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 good. There's there's some like there's just a lot of great moments like that where uh, you know they're just on the actors and it's just kind of going. It's not really uh, you know it's not trying to like pound you over the head, being like this is you know this is scary or this is sad or whatever yeah uh yeah yeah that 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 scene at the door is pretty amazing just the the question that goes i mean because because jake gyllenhaal definitely is in command in that like he he has the the upper hand in that dialogue period and the the person he's talking to at the door is sort of just out of his element um (laughs) and and yeah some a little bit of hilarity in a in a bleak film does occur and yeah the, the, it, it was definitely an interesting scene yeah anyway i don't know what else to say 
Um, well, I think I think everything else to say is probably pretty spoilery, so um, we could just let everybody know our recommendations and then close out and then continue everything else in the spoilers. Uh, yes. All right, cool. That works for you. Then let's just go ahead and do that. Uh, Carson, if you were going to give this a must-see, a recommend with a caveat, a wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I would definitely give it a must-see. I think this is a movie that... Uh... Uh, even though, you know, like I said, it's dark, but, uh, it's something that, uh, should be seen. Like, I think that this is, uh, definitely one of the best, like, adult-themed dramas in a long time. Like, uh, yeah, especially from, like, a, a major studio. And like I said, it's worth seeing alone just for the awesome visuals. Yeah. And the performances but i would buy a ticket alone just to again just to see the movie on a big screen and see all the visuals so yeah it's a it's a definite must see yep uh as i said before like this is such a fantastic watch that even after if after i'm done chewing over it i decide that i don't like what it tried to, like if i somehow come down on the side of those things were just cheap ploys and and it takes away from my my overall view of what the quality of the film is. It's still such an amazing watch and such an emotional journey that like it it is a must see. Uh, obviously, the only caveat really that I have for it is if you have young children, uh, you might want to wait until they're all grown up before you <laughs> take a take a view of this film, just because it is it is really intense. And I know I know people who have children that when um, you know, like anytime anything in the media happens with young children, they're just very upset for like days and days and days. And uh, this film isn't just putting out knowledge of bad things that have happened to children. Like you are living it through a parent who is grieving in an incredible way. And uh, I just think it will it will take that feeling that people with kids get when a situation occurs and just make it that much more intense so i would you'd be cautious if if you have uh young children and this sort of thing you know is overly intense for you that this might not be the film that you want to watch right now yeah cool but there you have it that is two must-sees from us uh carson if people want to find you throughout the week where can they do that uh you can go to practicalcandy.wordpress.com People can find me over at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get all the back episodes of the show. You can follow us on Twitter to figure out when the episodes go live at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or call leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Uh, music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to um, Prisoners, so hopefully that one's available. <laughs> uh, seriously, like, no stuff has been available recently, but this one I'm holding out. Hopefully it'll be there. I don't, I don't think this time I'll be able to use Oingo Boingo as... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you used that last time? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so nah, that would be a little, a little off. That'll be a little insensitive. Um, but yeah so there you go that is a review of Prisoners 
Um, if you haven't seen the film yet, uh, you, you can just take off now. Thank you for listening. Everyone else who has, we're going to let the music uh, fade up. And then when we come back, uh, we will have some sort of spoilery conversations about this film. Um, I can hit more of those things that kind of bothered me. And we can just talk about sort of the overall plot of, you know, from the standpoint of the quote-unquote villains in this film, like what is all going on there. So, yeah, as I said, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Alright, so we are back. This is spoiler territory. This is full-blown spoilers for the film Prisoners. Um, if you're listening at this point, uh, you should know. I mean, we are just going to spoil the crap out of this film. And, uh, yeah, no uh, no sorries from us if you are somehow still listening. If you fell asleep, <laughs> if you fell asleep and then just woke up and uh, now you're about to hear this stuff, I, I now can't Now all of a sudden there's a hooded man in your house. Yeah, then it's, it's really bad. <laughs> I mean... Uh, if if hearing spoilers makes you feel like you're boarded into a shower with hot water being poured <laughs> on you, then um, I'm sorry because I didn't want to do this to you. But yes, here we go. Okay, well, that's so what happened. You know, Hugh Jackman was essentially Jesus. That's what <laughs> we should say. He was a carpenter and a religious man. <laughs> he was. <laughs> yeah, dude, how badass was that? Like in the opening scene where he's like driving home with his son, he's just like, "You got to be prepared for anything." Like hurricane, you know. Uh, he's listing off all this stuff, and you're just like, "Oh man!" Like he's just like said because you know what's gonna happen. And you're just like, uh, "He's gonna be prepared for when this when this shit goes down." He's gonna pre- be prepared to have an entire building that was condemned after a man killed himself. Right, just his so father. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. it his father? Yeah, it was his father. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It was because he said, because um, remember his son's just like, why don't you rent out grandpa's old apartment? Yeah. yeah. And he's well, just like, well, we'd have to fix it up or whatever. Well, I, re- I remember that that it was left to him, but I didn't remember that the yeah. guy who killed himself was actually his dad. It was his father because then when Jake Gyllenhaal's like looking up online, uh, the old newspaper print. And it says, like, uh, I can't remember. It said, like, you know, it said Dover, like, prison guard, so-and-so Dover committed suicide or whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so. I, for- I forgot his name by that point in the movie. So I was like, okay, a guy killed himself there. What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah. that, that that sort of goes to my, my point a little bit. Um, things like that where it's, like, extra bits of information that don't really come into the story – uh, the, the, my, my big complaint is that, um, I mean, obviously before we saw this film, you said that, uh, your girlfriend ha- w- was assuming that Hugh Jackman was going to be the killer by the end of the film. Um, uh, she was assuming that Terrence Howard was going to be the killer. Okay. Gotcha. Got Terrence yeah. Howard. Well, either, either way, she was assuming that somebody in the group of people who lost the children was going to be. Yeah. It was going to be killer. kind of a lame reveal. Like that would be kind of, you know, what you'd expect from a regular thriller type movie yeah yeah. and 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 this film though kind of it it does a few there's a couple different things at a couple different times in the film where it purposely leaves the audience in the dark and it feels like it's trying to sort of force them to um 
to be misdirected. So um, especially specifically with reference to that, there's a point in the film where Jake Gyllenhaal gets super suspicious about why Hugh Jackman has this like weird basement stocked with all this crap and it's like paying way too much attention to the lie in the bag. Clearly Jake Gyllenhaal thinks something's up, but then like when they find the one that one daughter and she's like you were there and then he's like what and like the it gets all like weird and intense and then Hugh Jackman yeah, takes pretty, off running. That was pretty crazy. Like at that moment that feels like the filmmakers want you to start questioning everything you've seen about Hugh Jackman up to that moment in time. Right, and I <laughs> thought they were going to go down that route. I was like, oh, please don't have him be like split personality. Yeah, no, exactly. Know? And it's yeah. like, it's at that point in time, I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, if this does this, I'm going to be so pissed off right now. Right, yeah. And, and to the film's credit, I guess, is that it doesn't do that. But no. the problem is that like that feels so... like that doesn't feel organic at all. It feels like we're meant to be misdirected because it doesn't want us to realize that, oh, wait, he's freaked out because he's realizing where they were being held and he wants to go take care of this on his own. Like, that doesn't seem like a good enough motivation. Rather than let everyone in his family think that maybe he did it. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, right. if a little girl says, you were there, and then he goes, what? And then he just takes off running, and then the cops are trying to chase him. To me, that screams guilty. Would he really want to put his family through? Um, it, it, like, it, all he had to do was go, I know where they are, and then take off running. And then it's like, okay, well, he knows something that we don't. That's okay. He's going to go run after that. Instead, the film lets his entire family and the audience kind of feel like, okay, holy crap, did he do this himself? Um, and that felt just a little bit cheap um and it's like that might not have struck me as cheap if we didn't just have the whole subplot of the copycat killer who right who they introduce simply to okay so obviously okay let's back up so the premise of this film is children are abducted father is pretty certain that paul dano did it and he's willing to go to any length to cause him to do it the big mystery that we're kind of supposed to like from the trailer the big mystery the film is communicating is did paul dano really do it is his father going through all this to torture a man who who didn't have anything to do with the crime or did he have something to do with the crime so they introduce this copycat killer to to introduce doubt into the viewer's mind that either he did it himself or he didn't have an accomplice yeah so it, it, we're, we're given this whole plot to go like, oh, holy crap, maybe he's doing this to either the wrong person or to somebody who uh, wasn't the only person involved. Like the, the real guy is out and about possibly doing this even more. And Hugh Jackman is in here torturing the guy who ha- had little or nothing to do with it. And then it turns out that, no, this is somebody who read a book about people who are part of this cult. And he has been recreating the scenarios that he's reading slash hearing about in order to fulfill some sick, sadistic fantasy thing. Um, well, he also escaped from, uh, you know, his captives. He was the one that got away. When he was little. When he was little. And so, yeah. like, he was the whole time he spent his life trying to figure out basically to how, you know, escape, like, to how to solve that maze and like you know he was going about like how like he was held captive and why and uh yeah but but that, that even that even brings up questions too it's like he's so he survives this thing when he was little 
now that he's older, he's reading about all these things and he's obsessed. Like, he's become psychotic, excuse me, and become obsessed with the whole situation. He's, like, recreating all these things. Um, why? It just seems like an added level of complexity that's supposed to derive uh, significance but doesn't necessarily add anything to the overall story. Like, if, if this copycat killer was just a copycat and was not one of the kids who escaped who he if he just read a book and was already psychotic and decided to start copying this stuff it doesn't change the overall story as if in addition to that he was also captured by them when he was younger like but i mean he didn't he he didn't kill anybody though he was just copying all the uh things that were happening to him and other children yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm referring to him as a copycat killer, but he's yeah. really just a copycat scene reproducing guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's just recreating like the events. Yeah, my my statement is still the same. I'm not sorry. I yeah, was, I, I was misspeaking, but like because he he is creating scenarios in which the police need to investigate now because he is you know he is breaking and entering and he is uh, creating false evidence that is misdirecting the police um he can still do that being simply a copycat guy without having to be a child that was abducted by this group originally he could still be a guy who just read the book got obsessed with it and started drawing mazes a a lot yeah but i feel like that in order to understand what the children are like what what happens to them while they're being held captive i think that's why that plot point is there like i understand that what you say about yeah it does feel like a big you know it's there to misdirect the audience for sure um but i think it's also there to give you a sense of like what this couple did to the children that they captured and you know basically told them like you know if you can solve this maze you can you know go free uh and just like all the the other little, I mean, it was a it was like a it was a good way of like kind of putting some exposition out there without having the killer say it all at the end. Now, obviously, there is that moment where the killer kind of briefly does the whole like you know explaining the dastardly plan while you know having the hero in uh, her capture or whatever, but. Uh, to me, it felt a lot more. It just went down a lot smoother to have this extra plot point with the guy, with the copycat guy. Um, so then we don't spend like, you know, 10, 15 minutes of Melissa Leo telling us all about how she go, goes about doing her stuff. But that's the thing, too, is the. It's, it's like I, I'm almost being forced to try to pick this film apart, which is not necessarily what I want to do. I'm just trying to like get it at a point. It, it's the so the the main arc for the bad people is that they are they are a cult, and like as the woman says, their war with God is to make men evil by killing their children. Well, I mean, I don't think they're really a cult, are they? They just were wanting that, to. That's cultish. It's it's religious based cultish behavior. In yeah, which... but I mean, they really like the reason they started capturing children is because their own child died of cancer, and they wanted to put you know, they wanted other parents to feel what they felt, uh, having you know their child taken away. Yeah, but that's that's. 
the, the whole thing is to make man evil to rage against a god that let their child die. Right, right. But I mean, like, I don't think that they had, like, other members of their... Like, they, they it wasn't like a cult in the sense of, like, Westboro Baptist is acts like a cult. But, but I think in a sense it was, because, I mean, Paul Dano is sort of a scapegoat in this situation. Like, he's not the one that did it, but he... The way I interpret it is he lets Hugh Jackman torture him and doesn't give up the the game because the more Hugh Jackman tortures him, the more their end game is being fulfilled. Like the right. if if he would have just been like, oh yeah, it's at my aunt's house, like she's underneath the the car, then then Hugh Jackman doesn't become evil. Like he lets himself be tor- tor- tortured, mangled. Um, burned, scolded, like he lets all this horrible stuff happen to himself because that is their end game. To me, that is like the behavior of a cult. Like it's self torture to meet this end game of this like anti God like sentiment. Like it's yeah, but uh, I mean, I just think that it's not a cult in the sense that they have like multiple members because I feel like Paul Dano, his character is there because you know he was a child that they captured to fill the void of their dead child and that's why like he's still around and he's you know been mentally traumatized and brainwashed and drinking that you know soda cocktail or whatever the hell it was for so many years and uh you know it's it's i think that's what uh i I mean i just to me i i wouldn't refer to it as a cult like personally like i i didn't obviously yes there are cultish behaviors but like to me it didn't feel like a cult like only in the sense that like they were just this one family it wasn't like there were multiple it wasn't like the following you know where the guy had like multiple people in his little group or whatever well i I guess i just kind of felt like i I felt like they didn't come up with this on their own like they got it like just the fact that there is this that it wasn't just i'm drawing a maze can you get out of this children it was like they the the one guy had a pendant of it like i to yeah. me i kind of read that as this is a prolonged ongoing thing that that those two that those two couples were seduced into like yeah i mean um, it could be i mean that could be one way to look at it for sure but i mean there's there's just no other in the movie there's no other evidence to suggest that there are like other people involved with them like doing the the deed of capturing the children and everything. Yeah. Well, I guess okay, so you know they find the one the one the body underneath the priest's house. Right, which was the husband. Yeah, like what is the significance of that being the husband? Like what what was the explanation for why he was there? Well, what I I mean that that one's a little fishy to me is because so his husband, you know, was involved in all the kidnappings of these children and i guess at some point he couldn't take it anymore and he confessed you know all of his he confessed everything to the priest so he confesses everything to a child molesting priest who to a child molesting priest puts him down in the basement and lets him die i guess just ties him up in the basement and lets him rot uh because he was so disturbed by like what he did which is that's out of all the things in the movie, like I think that one's like the hardest to swallow. But, but here's here's the thing though is, she, it's just like how does it get you know like 
from A to B in that one. It's just kind of like that one's not really fully explained other than like, oh, hey, remember the guy that Jake Gyllenhaal found in the priest's basement? Like, you know, that's the husband of Melissa Leo's character. But the, the only the only evidence we have to that is a photo of him wearing a pendant and then the guy in the chair in the basement also has the pendant, right? Right, yeah. So why does that have to be the husband? I mean, maybe it's not, but... The well, fact that, that like that's what I'm saying though is like that. If that isn't the husband, then that supports the idea of this multi-person cult of people who follow the maze. Like, um, yeah, the maze becomes the sim- the maze is like now the Deathly Hallows and like right, right. You know, like it, it it provides like a greater world of this cult of people who all follow this idea of like trying to turn man evil, right. Um, I mean that's definitely one way to look at it, but but my viewpoint, I saw it as like they were definitely trying to make the connection that that body was the husband. Yeah, like um, for- even though they never really f- come out and fully say it, because obviously they they make the point to say that they couldn't ID the body. Um, but then there's just that you know point in the movie where you know Jake Gyllenhaal sees the photo of the pen you know the the old photos of the body and he you know sees that like the pendant matches the maze that the uh copycat guy was drawing yeah but see for 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 me that scene didn't read as oh the that was the husband it read as oh shit they're in on this thing too right that's what i thought too but then it wasn't till the end where he's in the house and he sees the photo of the husband and he's wearing the same pendant yeah. That's when I was like, okay, so I guess that's who it was supposed to be. Like, that's that's how they're trying to link this up. I, I guess for me, um, it was the the thing that really made me think that was the fact that the one copycat guy had the book that also contained the maze. Like to me, right? That, and I don't, like, I don't, I don't know if that was like something that he just recreated or stole. I don't know. Well, I, yeah, because I I just to me that was the. I was thinking that that book were the originator, like whoever wrote that book, which I didn't take to be anybody in this cast. Um, no, it was definitely something that uh, I feel like the book was written by the husband. Okay. That we, you know, never see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, but I felt like when he found the book in those boxes, in those bins, um, I guess like he was he either recreated it or he stole it like that's something that they never really you know it was just there to be like okay like this is obviously what the the children are given once they're held captive yeah or in captivity that they're given these books to with these mazes and like if they can solve it they can be set free but they're all unsolvable yeah i don't know yeah, but I mean, it could potentially, like, it's definitely one way of looking at it that, like, you know, maybe that wasn't the husband in the basement. It was just, like, another guy who was, you know, somehow either involved or, I mean, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I but don't... I, I feel like the, the movie was definitely trying to make the point that that was the husband. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, I, I saw this movie with my sister, and that's what... Like she phrased to me, like specific, like as we were driving away in the car, she was like, "Why? What was the point of the dead husband in the thing?" I was like, "What dead husband?" And she's like, "That guy." I'm like, "Well, I kind of didn't see him as necessarily being the husband, but being 
related, like not related, but having an association with the group of people who were doing this. Yeah. Um, Either like a Paul Dano type where he was held captive and then escaped somehow. Or he was being, you know, like he was helping in the abduction of the children. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's another thing about the movie that's, that's pretty great is that, you know, not only does it like immediately like make you decide like, all right, are you on board with Hugh Jackman, you know, torturing this dude in the apartment building or, or not? But then, you know, you get the sense that like, okay, maybe he's actually innocent. But then in the end, he's still kind of innocent, but then he's still kind of in on it. So you're kind of like, well, I guess he kind of deserves it a little bit, but not really. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's this definite, definite gray line. Like there's no like either or so it kind of leaves you going like well like you know was that right or wrong or i mean yeah yeah all all i know is people who were complaining about the torturing in a zero dark 30 can suck it (laughs) (laughs) exactly because i think paul dana would have gladly been waterboarded or put inside a box of course yeah or like had his pants pulled down in front of jessica chastain over everything that happens in in this put in like a doghouse with rock music with heavy metal (laughs) blaring you know yeah uh as opposed to getting like threatened with a hammer by wolverine (laughs) oh man be be basically being put in uh in uh solitary confinement yeah uh what one, one, one random on a on a on a happier note semi-jokey comment about the film that i that i really like just real fast um you know i i, I grew up playing trumpet so it, <laughs> it, in movies when when characters play trumpet and they're clearly not playing it it always bothers me um, I love that, uh, you know, we have the scene with Terrence Howard with a trumpet and he's like, you know, I'm taking requests. I'm going to play anything you want. And he can't play the trumpet. I love, no, he's I love clearly terrible at it. Yeah. I love that. They literally had like, clearly his character had just either inherited or just bought a trumpet for some random reason. <laughs> and he's like, I'll play you a song. And he just sucks, sucks so bad. I'm like, that's awesome. They had the real character or yeah. the real actor just play whatever you want here's a few notes just just try to make some sounds and it sounds just like a person who's never played the trumpet trying to play the trumpet yeah it's pretty funny it it was good times yeah which is it's kind of funny because like in uh in the movie on the road he played a trumpet player okay yeah so he was i don't know if he can actually play the trumpet in real life but uh in that movie he was definitely playing the trumpet i don't know if he like learned it like that one song just for the movie yeah well well, the first note he plays in this film what they do is they um as he's holding the trumpet he kind of moves and points the bell of the trumpet right at the camera blocking both his fingers and his lips so you can't see so i was like oh okay he's just gonna like fake it and they're gonna add the sounds in and that's the way they're gonna like that they'll fake it by literally putting the bell in front of the parts that give away that he's not actually playing it and then right after that he's all brrrr Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's kind of hilarious. I just want to, maybe you'll uh, you'll get it or you'll catch it more than, because my girlfriend, I said this to my girlfriend, she's just like, I don't remember that. But um, the creepy guy, the copy cat guy, yeah. um, he's a guy who's so creepy that like I remembered him. Do you remember in The Dark Knight when uh you know the scene where gary oldman saves aaron eckhart and you think he's dead 
yeah. you know, in the big uh, funeral in the city. And there's all the Arkham inmates dressed as, you know, police officers and stuff. Right. And then, like, there's that scene after it's over where the guy's in the ambulance and Aaron Eckhart approaches him and he's just like, you know, who are you? And he kind of, like, rips off his name tag. And I think it says Rachel, like Rachel Dawes on it. Like, okay. they all had, like, fake names and shit yeah, that yeah. were, like, the characters. And, like, and then he's just like, uh, yeah, you know, he's like, we're working for it. I can't remember what he says, but, like, that was the same guy. Huh. And I remember always thinking, like, dude, that, that guy is a creepy mofo. And I remember after The Dark Knight, like, a couple weeks after, like, I saw him in a Wendy's commercial. I was like, there's that creepy guy from Dark Knight in the ambulance. He's but, like, I'll, I'll always remember him. And then when he showed up in this movie, I was like, oh, man, is that that guy from Dark Knight? Because, like, he looks... He just has that like he's just gonna be typecast as the creeper guy. But like, oh, dude, he's he's totally creepy. Yeah. Oh man. But he he was definitely you know did the job well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that he could definitely uh, go on to play more creepy guys in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That'll just be his calling. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. For sure. But yeah, I I remembered him from that scene. I was just like, oh man, that they cast that guy. It's like someone saw it was just like, G- give me that guy for this role. Like, <laughs> uh. All right. So, any any last comments about this film, Carson? Uh, no. Uh, I think uh, yeah, I don't have anything more spoilery. I think we hit everything in a big roundabout way that i was yeah mostly wanted to talk about but i mean I, I like i said in in the review like i did really like the ending yeah uh, I, I liked where they ended it so yeah i thought i thought it was pretty good um even though like i the not necessarily where it was ending but i saw the through line of how that whistle was going to come back yeah. um but like right at the end right before it cuts to black like somebody in my audience like in the corner was all the whistle <laughs> <laughs> they're was, like i just figured it out it was pretty funny uh yeah that, that that that's the the only thing i the only thing that makes people talking out in theaters almost like more tolerable for me is when i can hear the rate at which people are figuring things out <laughs> like if somebody's being annoying and they're kind of just like all duh the whistle yeah, that, that's dumb. But when somebody sort of like whispers to themselves and they don't realize they're saying it out loud, and I can hear them figure it out, it's kind of fun because I like to see where that takes place. And they're like all self-congratulatory. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. <laughs> like five minutes in the movie. Yeah, yeah. You're like, ah, oh, damn it, assholes. <laughs> it was weird that they had already seen uh, Live Free or Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, I think that's about it. I, I, I don't know. There's not a good transition out once we've already transitioned out of the podcast. So, yes, I'll just say if you are listening and you listen through this whole spoiler section, then uh, thank you for uh, sticking with us and listening to it. Um, if you have any, you know, if you have any insights that we either missed or kind of evidence to one direction or another at the two th- the, the different scenarios that Carson and I were discussing, as we said before, fans at the spoilerwarning.com. Or uh, voicemail 760-575-4TSW. And uh, we would love to hear from you and see uh, your thoughts. So call call in with your theories about what Detective Loki's backstory is. (laughs) What did Uh, he do before he became a cop? He was like in a he was like Eastern Promises where he like infiltrated. (laughs) 
Yeah. He infiltrated the Russian mob. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Carson, for joining me. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. And thank you guys all for listening. We will catch you next time.